I think uh, one thing that we talked about discussing was the uh, topic of anxiety and anxiety and brain injury. And I yeah. just wondered if we maybe should start with that and what kind of what that means to you in terms of your experience. Uh, well, well, to be fair with you, because because I was quite young when I acquired my brain injury, um, to be to be like brutally honest with you, it was almost I was learning whilst kind of having it and kind of going through with it. So uh, certainly when I worked, first woke up in A&E in London, um, it was it was it was very kind of overwhelming and not really knowing sort of like if you're going to survive the evening or wake up the following morning and you didn't quite know what was wrong with you and kind of how, how long it would maybe take to recover or feel better or or, or if there were, ever was such a thing sort of like called recovered. Um, yeah, like it's it's got easier as as time's gone on and you sort of like learn about your your disability and disabilities and how you could overcome them or at least live with them um but regarding kind of anxiety i think i think i've got to a point now with my psychologist that um i'm able to control my anxiety levels and if if they should trouble me further if i bring this up with my psychologist um then i think they'd have like plans or sort of like um strategies to get around this mm. That's uh, that's a really good point. I, just going back to what you were saying about the stage or stages just after your injury, yeah. the fact that you were that you were so young. I think that's really that's really important and, and interesting because it's almost as if you grew up with your brain injury, or you were growing up um, as your brain injury was kind of um, impacting you. And that's not the case for everyone, is it? Because some people will be kind of fully functional adults when this happens, um, or sometimes quite later on in their life. Whereas for you, you were still very young. I just wondered, um, what difference do you think that makes? Because it it sounds like it was significant for you. Well, strangely enough, as as you mentioned it in that sort of like that way, Richard, I, I can kind of agree that I, I'm kind of glad I kind of had the injury when when I did obviously I, I wish I didn't have the injury of course but I mean like the, obviously I literally just turned 17 when when I had the car accident and obviously I woke up with being told I had a brain injury and what it was all about and because because I hadn't really kind of experienced adulthood obviously because I was still just just turning minor into an adult um to be fair with you I think for me it was probably the best time in my life I could have could have acquired the injury because I think if I was an adult and had lived the life that I was hoping to live again before the car accident, I think I would have struggled in my recovery a mo- lot more um, than what I am now. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at that, Alan, because I think it suggests that possibly, and I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth really, but it suggests that maybe you feel you were more flexible or you were more able to adapt because you were younger. But I don't know. Is that is that kind of what you were saying, or do you think I have put words in your mouth? No, I wouldn't say you're trying to like put words in my mouth. Like, like I say, like the the only thing, if if I kind of look at it now, like before my car accident, I was like a very fit young lad. I was playing rugby quite a lot. I was playing football quite a lot. I was playing down the park with friends, climbing trees, and, and being like a typical sixteen going on seventeen year old like lad. Um, but I th- I think the brain injury kind of helped me mature a little bit. But the only thing that I kind of I miss 
from before car accident and now is obviously the the level of sport that I play. Obviously, due to having a titanium plate and a, a dodgy leg uh, again through the car accident, um, I can't play. Well, I could play sports, but it's not as fun. And with the titanium plate, I'm banned from playing rugby, obviously because of because of the high contact and the injury that I can cause other people so much more than myself. Um, so I, th- I think I kind of I think I. I I certainly, I have more advantages to, like I say, with, with having it as young as I have because, like, I hadn't experienced what drinking was like out with the lads because I was too young to do that. Um, and like I think I think the kind of injury kind of made me mature um, a couple of years older than what I was. And I've, I've always been quite a mature guy, but I just think, I think the injury kind of helped me see life in, like, a, a from a different angle and that it's not, it's not like every day is not a school day sort of thing and, and in the playground kind of thing that something so quickly and something completely out of your control can change not only your life, but the outlook in life like massively. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you were forced to grow up too quickly? I think maybe what you're saying is that it did enable you to mature probably in a way that you wouldn't have without your brain injury. But do you think that was almost too much? Do you think that was, um, yeah, looking back, what does that feel like now? Uh, to, be, to be fair with you again, Richard, actually, like I think it did add a couple more years onto like the maturity level that I was at. But for, for a 16-year-old guy, and because of my, my physique and obviously like my attitude in life, my manners that I've got, a lot of people thought I was sort of like ranging early 20s to mid-20s anyway. So always being kind of guessed older than what I am, even still to this day, isn't really is isn't an insult to me. If anything, I see that as a a bit of a compliment because because it just goes to show that I am like I am an adult, and obviously I must have good respects for people to think I'm older than what I am. Yeah, yeah, that's an, well. It's it's um it's interesting to hear you say that, and and I think um the other thing that I noticed when you were talking about that earlier stage of your recovery was um, about going away, and of course you went away for quite a long period actually of uh, residential kind of inpatient rehab so away from your family yeah um and that was quite a long way away from home too and at that age I'm just thinking that would that would um understandably quite be quite a big deal anyway really wouldn't it even had you not had a brain injury but obviously you know you would you were also dealing with huge amounts of uncertainty and anxiety potentially just wanted if you can say a bit about that, Alan. It's a long time ago, and I'm just wondering if um, it's still it's still possible to sort of think back that far. E- even though it was quite a long time ago, and sort of like my memory is, is always seen as being a bit faulty, but I I can remember sort of like those those early. I can remember longer things, but like I, I can remember things long term better than I can short term. So so all the memories that are kind of going to happen like a more more fresh to what what I know than sort of what happened five, ten minutes ago sort of thing. So yeah. I I think personally, because because I'm from quite a close net family, it was it was very difficult for me, sort of like going away from home. Um but what again what I had to help me kind of have the advantage in going away is because the the college course that I was that I was on just before having the car accident um we used to go a lot and like camping and stuff like that and uh, outdoor adventure type activities and stuff so I was 
I kind of had the practice of being away from home really kind of before actually having to go away from home to then help myself. So I think, okay. again, I think my kind of car accident happened sort of like at the right time in my life that it wasn't a massive shock, of course, because I was still kind of identifying that I had a brain injury and stuff like that and that I did have difficulties, which, again, I didn't really see as much looking back on it. or at the t- I didn't see it as much sorry, at the time, but looking back on it now, um, I had I had a lot of kind of issues and sort of like defects and problems that 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 I needed to work on and I wish I wish I knew back then what I know now because I I think I would have kind of uh, grabbed a bit more of the experience and kind of took more from it if I could but yeah it was it was difficult kind of being away from the parents but I think again because I'm because I'm from a quite a close knit family if if there was ever like weak times or times where I was struggling I think I would have turned to the parents or my sister. Uh, too quickly for for that reassurance when being away from home and being like you say quite a long drive away from home I think that kind of helped me find my own independence yeah and I think that's a good point Alan because maybe there were limited opportunities or some of the family support that would have been available that would have um, because your family are very supportive uh, was maybe in some ways uh, not accessible and also I'm thinking that your family would have also been dealing with huge amounts of uncertainty so maybe their adjustment to what had happened because it was so sudden and traumatic uh, was also not kind of immediate to you so that might have actually kind of been protective in a way yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, because how 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 I always explain to like new people or friends when they when they ask me kind of like relevant questions to like brain injuries and kind of and how how it affected me and stuff. Like, I always refer myself like being like a a newborn baby in a seventeen year old kid's body, obviously because again that's the age I had the the injury of the brain injury, um, and I just think mum and dad would have done what they would have done like seventeen odd years ago and sort of like molly molly coddled me a little bit too much and not purposely but taking some of my independence away making me lazy uh which then would have resulted in me not being as independent as what I am now so like have taken them off the scene I think has only kind of like benefited me more as much as it was hard at the time I think the saying you got to be cruel to be kind was 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 very was very factual to that that point in my life yeah, I'm thinking as well, Alan, that the thing about being in that environment at that stage was that you'd have been around lots of other people with brain injuries and other types of neurological kind of conditions. And that can be a double-edged sword too, I guess, because it gives you opportunities to learn from other people and share experiences. But it's also it could also be quite overwhelming. I just wondered what that was like for you, that aspect of being away. Yeah, so again, certainly, certainly for the first couple of weeks, obviously, while we're all kind of like getting used to each other in in the in in the hostel place that I was at, that was obviously a rehabilitation centre, which everyone was there for pretty much the same reason. All had like different reasons to where they got their kind of brain injury from. Like some of them in there because they were born with it, some were there because of car accidents, someone was there because of like being assaulted in the street or falling off like balconies on holiday and stuff like so we all we all had kind of like different stories to the for the same reason that we're in there for um but as as well as it being overwhelming it was a little bit like a, um, a constant school lesson really because like like it's not like you're in a race with each other to kind of like see you can kind of get better first and leave there but you can kind of see 
how fast everyone's progression in sort of like recovery is to like the next person and your own kind of thing. And like, I, I, I can remember a lot of the times look, like looking back thinking like, I'm, I'm so lucky to be like walking like I am now. Okay. I had a slight limp, but it was, it was kind of, it was better than sort of like with, with aided walk or like in a wheelchair or anything like that. And that, that my kind of like social skill was, was, was not as, as damaged as some people in there, like some people couldn't talk, some people couldn't hold a conversation or some people would forget the question that you ask them kind of thing and answer completely differently to what you're, what you're asking about. Like, I don't know, it, it was overwhelming, but I think for me as well, it, it showed me, it showed me the short term progression that I made in, like, in, in, in just a couple of months before going into rehab. That's really interesting, Alan, to hear you talk about that period, eight, because it is such a long time ago. B, because I don't think we've ever really, um, we've never really talked about it that much, have we? So it's quite interesting to to do that. I know one thing that we were hoping to focus on today primarily was that of that kind of subject of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I was thinking about maybe kind of thinking more about more recent um, times in your life and some of the things that have generated anxiety for you, which may or may not be related to your brain injury, but I just thought I'd let you talk about that for a moment because I know working with you um, over quite a long period that some of those things have changed and um, so it'd just be helpful to get your thoughts on what anxiety is like kind of now and and, and maybe um, similarly how you, how you go about sort of dealing with that. Yeah, so like, obviously, when I was in rehab, like my anxiety levels were a lot higher than than, than kind of what they are now. Like again, looking back on it and reflecting, kind of back on, on on my kind of my mental state mind back then. Like I was, I was always worried about how I'm being judged and like what people can see was wrong with me and and stuff like that. Which was, I think, being in rehab was 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 a good start because obviously, again, we're all we all had the same sort of of problems and issues with ourselves. So. You, you didn't really kind of worry too much walking around the rehab because the staff there are obviously there to do a job. So they're not that kind of people to, to like make you feel worse than what you were. And obviously all the clients now like were, were very friendly, like because we're all in the same boat trying to get better rather than worse. And then kind of leaving rehab. Oh, I, I felt like I was like a small fish in a big pond to be fair. Like there wasn't kind of like any, like there was any strategies or there wasn't like no timeline to kind of like, live around like because in, in rehab obviously you had like it was like a bit like being in class almost you had a certain time to be at certain sessions with different therapists and stuff like that and then kind of leaving rehab and it's kind of like you've got like 12 hours of the day that you're awake and you've got no plans and you just you just sort of like plod on by really like with no no real kind of like idea or plan for the day um and I think I think for me that was a little bit a little bit overwhelming and I, I didn't really know what to do with myself but um obviously then a few, a few months on kind of thing um obviously there was discussion with my with my solicitor and obviously a number of my therapists about going on to sort of like um independent living so um they managed to kind of rent a flat for me for 18 months where which I think was a good stepping stone to kind of like begin my independent life and again because I had the car accident at 17 and I'd never left home before. Like I didn't, I I didn't know what moving out of home was all about. And and without the therapist, I think 
it would have been really overwhelming for me and I don't know what direction I would have gone in and I don't know how well I would have progressed if I hadn't had the support that I did have. But I, I felt that was, for me, it was, it was hard, but at the same time it was good because I learned a lot and I learned how to live alone. So I learned how to shop, how to budget, what I could spend on sort of like free and fun time and what I couldn't. Um, yeah, and, and then I just, just think of that. I sort to interrupt. I was thinking no, that it links in with what you were saying earlier, which was about because of the age of your injury, that you were yeah. having to learn some things for the first time with a brain injury. So, yeah. and again, that might be different for other people, mightn't it, who have learned those skills, have got them, and then and then have a brain injury. So for you, that kind of maybe um, created almost like a double challenge, really, of trying to learn some of these things and build experience through the lens of a brain injury, which sounds like a that's a big... That's a big challenge, isn't it? Yeah, see, I see. On on this one, I think I think it would have been. Again, I feel quite lucky because I had it at a young age. Because there was a, there was a, there was a there was a fair few kind of older clients in the rehab that I was at, and because, like I say, they 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 were kind of older than me, that they had kind of been through that whole process of learning how to live on their own and doing all the things that I was that I was unaware of, and then they were having to kind of like learn kind of new ways of how to do it because obviously they might have had like something with the wrong with their arm or they might have had a problem with their eyesight or they might have had a problem in like processing certain things whether it be planning or problem solving like they were trying to do it old ways before their car accident thinking it was the right way when when therapists were trying to show them a new way and kind of doing it because of because of their injury like I say because I never had that because I hadn't lived on my own before the new way for me was was the kind of only way because like I hadn't I hadn't gone through that process from from before. Yeah, yeah. You talked before, Alan, about that fear of, I think you called it a fear of being judged. And um, that got me to thinking there that that's, that's maybe quite a, that's quite a prominent thing for many people, isn't it? And when we talk about anxiety and the kind of anxious thoughts that people might have, I know as yeah. a clinical psychologist that comes up quite a lot. Um, I just wondered if you could say a bit about it and in terms of your experience and what that kind of felt like, what that was about and and, and how you sort of, um, how you understand that. Yeah, so again, because of where I am now in my kind of recovery and, and in my kind of adulthood, look, adulthood, sorry, looking back on it, I think I was over-worrying about things that really shouldn't have needed to be worried about sort of thing. But obviously being young and not really kind of knowing which way my life was going or how how much um, recovery like is going to happen because obviously the whole time through rehab like they were telling us that we might never be kind of what we used to be kind of thing like like you might only get to like 99.9 percent better and and that, that's how you'll have to live again that's that's a little bit sort of like overwhelming and not knowing where like where where the final kind of like target is and then you're not going to be able to kind of progress any any more from there so like you, you used to walk around so like outside the rehab into that the local town which was only like a 10-15 minute walk away and you kind of think everyone's looking at you because like you, you're limping or because you you don't quite swing one arm because of a stroke on, on that side of the body or or when you smile only half your face is smiling like it's 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 very sort of like um vain like kind of like thoughts but i think i think that's maybe a part of the process that most people with brain injury will go through 
because I wasn't the only one that suffered with this in rehab. There was there was a number of clients that we used to discuss in the evening about these like similarities in like feeling that everyone knew what was wrong with us when when it might have been they hadn't got a clue. And and with the, with this day and age that everything's kind of up on social media and everyone judges you before they know you kind of thing and you've got to look the best part before posting the photo and all this. I just think I think nowadays people with brain injuries might struggle more than kind of what what I did because social media wasn't as as loud as it is now. I think that's a massive point. And is it probably one thing that we're going to want to talk about more because social media now is such a huge aspect of our lives, whether or not you know we want it to be or not sometimes. Although people can make choices, sometimes it's difficult to avoid. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of brought it up. I think I was just thinking about, again, that fear of being judged and then what that's like now. So, um, yeah, how would you say you are with that now in terms of your day-to-day experiences and anxiety? Um, so I'd like to say, certainly in my kind of vain um, part of my of my life then, let's say, so where, where people so-called judge me when, when I don't think they do kind of anymore, I think. I think a lot of people are quite busy with life, so half the people don't care, like kind of what other people are doing and stuff. And they might they might say something in their head, but you're, you're never going to hear what that is in their head. So you, you really just kind of got to get on with life and sort of like just ignore it because obviously you never heard it. So kind of that saying outside, out of mind. That's that's really where you've just got to put it. And everyone, everyone, everyone in the world has weaknesses and have have like strong points. So like even with or without a brain injury, you're just like everyone else in the world. So you just kind of like, you've got to stop thinking what everyone else is thinking and get on with your own life. Yeah, I think that really, um, that's a really positive way of looking at that. And, and I think um, reflects your your um, typical kind of positivity, which I think is one of the things that um, I think is really good about you. I mean, is that you're, you'll often bring that positivity and that to some extent, doesn't just help you but it also helps other people doesn't it potentially in terms of thinking about how they might manage difficulties in their lives you talked about the um that thing about your body and I just want to talk about that for a minute because I think it's really important because of course for some people with brain injury they will experience physical kind of changes changes to their appearance yeah um, changes to how they move maybe how they um, facially, how they look, um, and in, in addition to other things, maybe just how they talk, um, the things that are evident to the outside world, whereas other people with brain injuries can still have significant difficulties, but you don't see those physical changes. And I just wondered for you what that's been like, because I know, as you said, mentioned about your arm um, or your, um, I think you talked about your leg, more so earlier yeah um, and um and also your face and i just wonder if you can say a bit about that and what that's like socially when you're out and about and you're amongst other people maybe people you don't know yeah no no of course yeah so so for me it was it was a massive thing at first because obviously when i when i first woke up out of my car accident and i was in i was in icu um obviously my, my, i could tell that my face had dropped and you can tell that the kind of like the, the muscles on that side of the face were weak um and obviously 
again, you come back to the overwhelmingness where like you're getting so many sort of like things you got to practice and do and like to help yourself like recover and obviously like better yourself. Like if if I could list everything kind of in one in one list that I had to do kind of thing to help better myself, like I would need more than just a couple of A4 pages. But I'm not I'm not obviously slagging or putting down those therapists in the past because they've got me to where I am today. So when it comes to kind of like what you're saying, like Richard and stuff like that, you really you've just got to kind of like focus on yourself and anything that's weak. At the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to put in the effort to get out. You, what you put in is what you'll get out, kind of thing. So if you want to sit there and just kind of like let it naturally heal, it might take years to naturally heal, or it might never heal. But then if you're willing to work and better yourself, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to drop things, you're going to slip with things. But you, you're learning how to use both like limbs. Like it's what we did as a kid. We just have to do it again as an adult. It's harder now with an adult, obviously, because because our our brain is a little bit damaged. But like again, like I say, the effort that you're willing to put in will be the result that you get out. Mm. Again, that's a really positive way of thinking about it, and one that I think all of us can um, really take something from. Do you think that? Because I know, again, having worked with you for a long time, I know that you're. Um, your physical condition has changed. Uh, that you're you've worked incredibly hard on your physical rehabilitation, and as a consequence, some of those difficulties and some of those visible aspects of your disability are now less visible. Although I know from talking to you about various things um, that maybe they're, they're highly visible to you in terms not just uh, literally. But also metaphorically, that you notice that you feel them, you notice them a lot, and you're that might carry over to a worry that other people are going to notice them more, when maybe they don't. I, yeah, it, it, it's a bizarre thing, that isn't it? Because it's more about how you feel about your body, and I just wanted to maybe say a bit about that because I'd be really interested to to hear what you um what you think. Yeah, so I think a lot of that could just come down to your like self consciousness. To be fair, like with you, Richard, there, like and like you say, like I did have a problem with my arm, and I did have a problem with my leg, and like I say, I worked hard with physios, I worked hard kind of on my own, and I worked hard down the gym when I used to when I used to go to the gym. So, so like <clears throat> what I now kind of do to myself is when I think I'm going through a bad day and the limp's looking a bit more worse than kind of what it was yesterday or the day before, I've got to think well. I've got myself to a high standard that I managed to run a marathon. I've managed to climb the four highest mountains in Britain and I've done various other activities to that kind of like degree and level and height that, that, that I, I did it in succession. Like I didn't fail. I didn't have to kind of go home and sort of pass out or I didn't have to kind of like quitted it because I couldn't finish it. Like all of those kind of challenges that I was put through, I finished. And okay, they weren't as easy as what they might have been before my car accident, but you can't always judge on what was before the car accident because that's that's a page that's been written you can't ever rewrite that again it's, it's been gone you've got to close the book and forget about it but what you can do is you can rewrite a new page tomorrow and change how you feel tomorrow yeah so are you saying alan that you do you think that because those achievements that you've listed there are huge yeah. um because many people listening to this <clears throat> wouldn't um would never achieve those even though they're um, they've not had a brain injury or they don't have any physical limitation. Uh, well, you've, you've gone on and done that because of your determination and your 
um, focus, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So again, like, like we like we were talking of earlier. Um, obviously, I, I used to play kind of like quite high level kind of sports. Like obviously, I, I played for under seventeens uh, Scotland. Uh, I used to play like football two or three times a week. So okay, I can't do all those sports and that again. But then I can do walking a mountain or climbing, like climbing a wall or anything like that. So so, so it's pointless thinking about oh, I can't play rugby more, I can't play football more, I can't ride a bike anymore, I can't do this. What I've got to say to myself, and what I hope other people will take from this as well, is what you can do, push yourself into doing something harder than what you already can, rather than worrying about what you can't do because of your injury, worry about what you can do with your injury. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a really important thing. I think um, the other thing I was wondering, Alan, was because uh, I think that it's it's probably important to say that you um you work very hard on your physical condition so you um use weights and um you're physically strong now i wondered and if that that's an important point because how you feel and if you feel strong maybe that might influence how you think about how the people how other people perceive you um I th- yeah, what do you think about that? And do you think that's kind of... So, right? so since since my car accident, um, I was able to return back to college in 2012 uh, to study personal training. And I felt that that course taught me a lot. Even though I kind of, I've been brought up with fitness and sort of like r- r- running and weights and all this kind of stuff. Plus with the college course I did previously was also kind of very physical and sort of like strengthening like um i think and i go by a saying healthy body healthy mind so a little bit like what you're saying there richard that if you feel good on the inside naturally everyone will see that you look and feel good because you're 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 walk with like shoulders high you're walking confidence you walk like you look good because you feel good so i think i think personally that going to the gym not just to lose weight not just to become stronger, but going to the gym to help like your brain release endorphins, which is a, which is a happy chemical that our brains naturally release while exercising, is only beneficial to anyone with and without a brain injury. Yeah, it's almost like a um, a sort of a, a virtuous cycle, isn't it, of um, doing positive things, which creates other positivity. Which I think you're a um, you're a, you're a good example of. I was thinking as you were talking, Alan, that the healthy body, healthy mind. Yeah. What do you think? Is, if I said to you that we could switch that round the other way and sort yeah. of suggest that if we have a healthy mind, that we could view our bodies as being positive. Um, the reason for saying this, Alan, I have to say, is I just before we came on this call. Um, there was something on the news about a shop. Um, I won't say it, but probably people would have heard the same bit of news anyway. But it was encouraging women to um, lose weight um, and incentivizing this by, it was like a bikini thing, and it, you put a pound coin in when you lost a pound of weight. Um, and the, the woman who had gone into the shop um, who had brought this to the attention of the news was appalled by it and she went to the, the shop um, owner or whatever and said um, what have you got what have you got the, which is the equivalent for men 
And he said, oh, no, we haven't got anything for men. Um, the implication being that it's only women that need to lose weight and worry about what they look like. So I suppose this is a long-winded way, Alan, of saying that um, we're a bit obsessed as a culture about kind of what we look like. And it comes back to what you were saying earlier a bit about social media. That's probably um, escalated some of those things. Um, do you worry about what you look like? And then would you say? No, so I wouldn't say I was someone who's sort of like anorexic or sort of like obese or anything like that. I'm quite lucky to be kind of uh, in between. Like I put on weight if I eat, of course, and I kind of lose weight quite easily if I if I train and kind of like walk and sort of like and just enjoy activities and exercise kind of thing. But I think I think the problem with switching my slogan around to healthy mind, healthy body isn't isn't kind of like what I would push because a lot of people suffer with uh, body dys- dysmorphia. So they see, they see themselves as fat when they could be sort of like skin and bone, or they see themselves as skin and bones when they could be a bit more bulky and plumped. The, the problem being my slogan is healthy body, healthy mind is because the healthy body means that every time you look at yourself, you'll always be healthy with what you see, which then obviously kind of gives you the knock on effect of having a healthy mind which hopefully then would kind of encourage you then to continue to stay active, but then maybe also encourages you to eat well and feel well. So like um, coming back to what you're on about there with the shopkeeper and stuff like that, I have, I, I must've seen that roughly about the same time as what you saw of that. And I don't think it should be down to any sex. It shouldn't be down to any age. I think it should be down to a population in general. So everyone in the world, should kind of care about what they look like and what they eat and how much exercise they should do because it will only extend your life it's not not everyone's not out to look the best everyone's out to kind of live a healthy and reasonable life with, with as many um, health com- uh, complications as possible yeah and i think what i think what you've done I and mean, in terms of your rehab and your recovery is you've shown the benefits of fitness and health. I know you're very careful about what you eat. Um, you eat well, but you eat healthily. Um, as I say, you exercise and you work out regularly. So I think it's a good example, really, of um, how one might live one's life. Do you think that, because I suspect, Alan, that you would have done that regardless of your brain injury but do you think your brain injury makes any difference to that do you think you feel that you have to work harder or do more or yeah I just wonder uh, about that. that's that, to be to be completely honest with you there Richard that is that is probably quite an interesting question for myself that I, I could even struggle to answer this but I think like like you rightly said as well I was I was doing this kind of naturally before my car accident anyway so um doing it after the car accident it, it, it didn't change me as such maybe I did it a little bit more obsessively because of the injury and, and trying to like focus on other things but obviously my brain was was kind of like focused on one sort of like goal if you understand where I'm coming from but um, the only reason I think it's harder for me now is I think because I've got less oomph and kind of wanted to get up and do it as much where before my car accident was quite natural whereas now where 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 I've got to push myself that a little bit harder. I only push myself that little bit harder because I know if I don't do it, 
it will be worse for my mental health in long term because I'll overthink things and then I'll kind of like become obsessive with things and blah blah blah. So for me, for me, kind of keeping and maintaining the good fitness, it means that when I have a biscuit or a Mars bar or a sneaky milkshake or whatever, I'm not going to punish myself for it because I exercise to burn the calories off. Yeah, and maybe you're you're more because what I always think about is that maybe you're more vigilant around aspects of your health because the implications of maybe um, being unhealthy or being more um, being overweight, for example, might be greater yeah. for you. I don't know, but um, yeah, talking about biscuits and Mars bars is making me feel quite hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just thinking that about. Um, body image because you mentioned body image which is really interesting because I don't know if you remember you, I'm sure you do but it was a long time ago which is kind of why I've asked whether you remember it but we did this because I remember we were thinking about um how you felt about the two sides of your body and you felt that there was quite a big difference in size yeah between yeah. your left hand side and your right hand side yeah and we did an experiment, didn't we, where we um, got a photo of you. Uh, I don't know, do you remember this? We yeah, no, no, I do, actually, I do, yeah. And, we, and then we showed it, or I, sh I should say I showed it, um, to various people uh, to ask them. And they didn't know you, and they didn't know what, why we were asking. Yeah. And we said, um, did you notice anything about this uh, this young guy's um, kind of uh, physique or kind of body. Um, and I'm trying to test out that theory because I think you felt at the time, I suspect maybe very different now, but at the time you certainly felt that that was quite a major difference between those two sides of your body. So when you looked in the mirror, it was evident to you. Yeah, I think I think that part of my my recovery was was very much because I was kind of beginning to like understand that I did have obviously where I had the stroke on my right hand side of the brain, which obviously affected the left hand side of my body. I think I was, I think I was being able to recognise that I did have a weakness, but not because it was different in size or anything like that. Just because that obviously where that side hadn't been activated as much. Um, that I needed to work on it obviously a little bit but not as much as I was consciously thinking at the time and again I can only say that reflecting back because there wasn't actually anything wrong with me and it was quite symmetrical and I didn't need to do kind of what I had done or maybe I did need to do what I had done to get to where I am today but I just think again because I was young because obviously social media was just beginning to heighten up at that point um, I, for me I think I got caught up in the wrong kind of like wrong place wrong time sort of thing whereas if, if social media weren't as growing like it was and as quick as it was at that that particular time in my life my recovery i don't think i would have been as conscious of it i think that's a good point and i think the context is really important isn't it and also as you were saying your age or developmental stage is going to be important and what you're implying is that it's probably less of an issue now that now you're older um and you've kind of got this life experience and maybe other things are equally important that that's kind of got its place isn't it that you maybe think about it less or you're preoccupied by it less 
Yeah, see, I think I can also thank uh, my psychologist and my psychiatrist for introducing me to the drug uh, Cetuline, which um, has certainly managed to calm my anxieties down and, and help control it. Um, and it also kind of helps me focus and sort of like slow down my thought process at the time. So, for example, when I look in the mirror now, like, I, it, do, it doesn't even cross my mind that one arm's bigger than the other or one, one leg's bigger than the other or anything like that or one face is floppier than the other. Like, it, it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even phase me kind of thing. Like, it's just, it's non-existent now type thing. But, like, in a way, if if something does affect you like that, then that's just telling yourself that, like, yeah, there is a problem there and you need to work on it. But it might not be a problem to everyone else. It might just be a, a bit of your own... Um, like body dysmorphia, which is just that the same thing again, where someone that has anorexic will always look at themselves and see themselves fat. Even if they lose six stone, they'll see themselves as fat. I look at myself and I think I've got one shoulder bigger than the other. When this 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 drug uh, search line helps me look at myself and think, actually, no, it's not bigger than the other. Actually, it's the same size as the other. And if people compliment you all the time that call you're quite broad for your age or you look physically fit, then then clearly there isn't a problem. On the outside, it's, it's my mind that's playing games with me. That's a, that's a really good point, Alan. I think it's probably important to say that the outcome of that experiment that we did, I call it an experiment. It was, yeah. um, we, we didn't ask that many people, but everyone that we did ask didn't couldn't really notice any difference between those two sides of your body um, from, a, from a picture. Yeah, and no, of course not, no. And I think what we did at the time when we reflected on that and we thought, uh, this probably is more of a reflection of how you feel, isn't it? And that, and you mentioned there about weakness, that maybe one side of your body felt significantly different to the other. So it would probably then follow that when you looked at your body, that those feelings might kind of start to influence how you perceive your body. So it's an interesting kind of thing about um, how we feel, isn't it, and how we think. It's a very similar situation to kind of when you have a spot on your face that no one else can see it, but you know it's there. So, so like you think everyone's then looking at the spot that you know that's there, but people wouldn't know there unless you kind of point it out, kind of thing. So, like I think looking back, it was just a, my brain recognizing that yeah, I had the stroke on the left hand side and that maybe it was weaker, but it didn't have the visual. It didn't have the visual defect to what I thought the visual defect like look like if if you can see where i'm coming from yeah yeah i think that's uh and i think it's really important to probably flag that because it's not uncommon for um people with some form of neurological injury or change um to experience weakness that that's that's a very common um consequence of, of that uh, process so uh they would probably be able to relate to what you're saying, Alan, which I think is really, uh, which is really important. Yeah, and 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 people people with or without a brain injury have have got have got to think themselves as they're no different to anyone else. Everyone else has probably got something that's weaker, but maybe doesn't don't explain it or don't don't worry about it as much. Like everyone, if, no one's perfect. Let's put it that way. No one is perfect. No one was born a goddess or god and have nothing wrong with them. Like we all have our own like defaults and and perfect things and it's only if you want to worry about it will it affect you so you you need to kind of like look past it 
and think that everyone else has got a problem. They just might not voice it or they just might not worry about it. Well, that's a, a hugely important point because I, I feel that uh, people who, there are people out there who we tend to look at and we perceive as being uh, almost perfect, really. And I'm thinking here largely from a physical perspective because of how they present themselves. But once you talk to them or get to know them, and you may be able to relate to this in terms of your um, friends or family. But when you talk to them, you realise that they tend to have the same worries that the rest of us do. Or I say the same, they sort of are concerned about similar things about their appearance. So they'll focus on one thing that they perceive is not how they'd like it to be. Um, you know, their their sort of ears are too small or their um, their nose is too big whatever that might be, but they'll find something that um, is not, they perceive not to be right. So I think that's a really, um, that's a really good point. Alan, there's so many things in there that we could, we could carry on talk about. I think you mentioned about your sertraline and we talked a bit about social media earlier. Um, what we could do is sort of pick up on those things when we talk again, because I've got lots of questions about them. Um, yeah. And it would be good to allow ourselves more time to explore them in a bit of detail. So thank you for raising them and thank you for talking today. No, my pleasure, Richard. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Richard.